0: Sandra and I love coming to Thrive uh, because, number one, things are thriving here, <laughs> and uh, Jesus is real and, uh, and evident in your lives, and we see many of you responding to Jesus uh, to bring him as Lord of your life so that you can walk with him every day of your life. My wife uh, warmed me up this morning, Sandra, with a cup of uh, Americano coffee. Wow, that was really good, Sandra. Give Sandra a hand for that. This is the first service. I might be a little slow getting into it, but we'll we'll make it this morning. Turn to somebody and say, we'll make it. Yes, we'll make it. So we're having another look at Jesus this morning. Uh, text is, is Luke chapter six. I think it'll come up on the screen, and we're going to uh, read it together. This morning, and then I'm going to get into some comments this morning after that. So here we go. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read together. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, and said, Have you never, David did when his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful for the priest to eat, and he gave it also to some of his companions. And Jesus said to him, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand had shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Jesus said to him, "I, Or save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. What a story, interesting story, uh, about some people who are legalists And then we have Jesus on the other side, who is a life-giving individual, a life-giving God, as we know. I want to say this morning, before I get into the message, there is no look that compares looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. David said, I have set the Lord always before me. That was his statement. His vision was always of the Lord. I have set the Lord always before me. Say that with me. I have set the Lord always before me. What we are doing in Thrive these days is of great importance. Fully knowing and seeing Jesus is so life-transforming. We need to be looking to Jesus in everything that we do and in every place that we find ourselves in. Always looking to Jesus. Always having that focus on Jesus and who he, he is. There's an old hymn that goes like this. and I, It came to mind as I was preparing the message, and I thought I would... I would share a few words of it. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. See, ultimately in eternity... Our vision is going to be of him and toward him. Until then, though, we want to keep our vision right, and we want to see Christ, and we want to run the race seeing his face. I want to talk today for a few moments uh, on this story, and I, I put it this way. There's bad leaders, good leaders, and good learners. Bad leaders, good leaders, good learners. The Pharisees were a dangerous bunch. They were a dangerous bunch. They were not followers of Jesus. Rather, they were opponents to Jesus. They were always looking to find fault. All the way to the cross, they were doing this. The Bible tells us that they crucified the Lord of glory. While Jesus yielded himself to the cruel cross... The Bible tells us that it was wicked hands that crucified him. Sometimes we focus so much on, you know, the purposes of the cross and all that was fulfilled in the cross. But in in the process of him going to the cross and what they did to him was actually very wicked. And it was the Pharisees, those people of that day, that nailed him to the cross. And the Bible says their hands were wicked hands. Wicked hands. I guess the question I need to ask this morning which group do we belong to today? Are we critics of Christ or are we genuine learners? Are we one that is seeking the salvation and the healing of others or the destruction of others or are we? looking to bring people into wholeness, fullness, finding them bread, giving them bread, and bringing to them healing. You know, the Pharisees, as I was thinking of it, you could almost liken them to someone like Hitler. You know, Jesus had some very strong things to say to the, to the Pharisees. Now, Hitler, we know, was a man driven by hate, hatred. And he worked to rid mankind of anything less than than his view of the elite and his view of the great. He did away with Polish and Jewish people by the hundreds of thousands, actually by the millions. And Phariseeism was nothing less than Hitler, but it was cloaked and couched in the Jews' religion that's what made it so dangerous they looked so good they looked so religious on the street corners they would be standing in the open and they would be saying their prayers hoping that somebody would see them and in some way applaud them in their great praying on the street corners but underneath jesus had some things to say about them they were clo- cloaked in this religious garb but they were destructive and dangerous as the governors of the land. Not an ounce of grace was found in any of them. Legalism was their lifestyle. Their approach was applying the full extent of the law with no mercy ever mixed in. You know, the Bible says this, and we know we have to make judgments in life at at times that may be difficult, But the Bible says this, in judgment, always remember mercy. Say that with me. In judgment, always remember mercy. This is actually Old Testament. This is our eternal God who has not changed his nature. Paul was one of that bunch, the Pharisees, before he was transformed on the road to Damascus. And a vision of Jesus coming as a bright, blinding light to him, changed his life. One look at Jesus changed him completely. Paul was throwing people into prison. He was destroying wonderful lives in the guise or under the guise of religion. with, with, With Paul in the past, it was all judgment and no mercy after jesus said after the pharisees were done with an individual or with people he said you make them twice a child of hell turn to somebody and say i don't want to be that kind of an evangelist <laughs> i don't want to be that kind of an evangelist you're bringing a message to people and you're making them twice a child of hell now Please please bear with me this morning. This sounds this message sounds a little little negative at the moment and it is negative because we're talking about some very negative people and how many of you know there are negative people in our world. Can you say amen? They bring destruction into the lives rather than salvation into the lives of people. So Jesus said, you make them twice a child of hell. John the Baptist even spoke of them. He talked about them as a generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? These were murderers at heart. And they ended up doing that with Jesus. They had a twisted view, a very twisted view. They had uh, accused Jesus again and again of breaching the law. But Jesus' grasp of the entirety of Scripture was what they needed to understand. They did not understand that. Paul the Apostle, after he was converted, had a revelation of law and grace in what I say is in balance. Laws are standards that are set holy standards that are set but they cannot be achieved except by the grace of God and those who breach those laws from time to time need the grace of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God and that was the message of 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 the Apostle Paul Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 after he's a converted Pharisee he said if a man be overtaken in a fault you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So it was always the bent toward restoration of a life and, and forgiveness, no greater joy than, than taking a, a genuine seeking heart and bringing them into, into the forgiveness of Christ. What a wonderful message that is. The true heart of God is always about redemption and restoration. It's always about that. It's not about harsh religion it's always about redemption and restoration. T- say with me, redemption and restoration. Redemption and restoration. Legalistic people who carry no mercy also usually run out of grace and they also fail and fall because all of human ma- humankind fail and fall as time goes on. So even the Pharisees, you know, we're failures. They they failed, like every human being, but they needed the grace and the love of God, and they needed to get a hold of that message and, and carry that message forward rather than what they were carrying it. If you are in a place where you must make a hard call, sometimes in the workplace, in the family, or even in the church, there can be difficult calls that need to be made for the sake of... Of righteousness we always do it in meekness and trembling and saying there go I except for the grace of God can you say man that's the way it is and uh, we need to have that heart rather than the pharisaic heart in judgment we always remember mercy Even in the business world, I have, seen, I have seen business people who have suffered great financial loss by some others taking advantage, advantage of them, but remembering mercy in that loss, and they end up being winners in the end. Just like Abraham, you know, had some disagreement between Lot's workman and Abraham's workman. And Abraham, Uncle Abraham, turns to nephew Lot and he said, you choose whatever you want. You go your way, I'll go my way. And Lot got the well-watered plain and Abraham got some rocky dry land and guess who won in the end Abraham won in the end he was generous he gave the best to his nephew and uh, God prospered Abraham even though he didn't have the well watered plain and the best land how many of you know we can give away and it'll seem like we're losing but really we are winning come on now so we always remember mercy always always show kindness today i present to you the judge of heaven and earth who not only judges but he also shows mercy also shows mercy now in Luke chapter six verses one to eleven getting back to that the disciples are walking with jesus and they're harvesting corn they're threshing it, and they're eating it on Sabbath. And chances are, it doesn't say it in the story, but chances are they were not necessarily stealing from somebody's crop, but the, in the Israelite understanding, they always left portions of their crops for people who are strangers to come and freely take. Was the, the, those were the corners as some would say the corners of the field they were they would leave and people could come and freely partake of that so they weren't breaking any law or anything like that it's just that they were you know they were gleaning these corners and they were hungry and and the pharisees come and they say what are you doing you know you're harvesting on sunday Or you're harvesting on the Sabbath, and 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 Jesus answered to those Pharisees. He said, "David, who was their hero, because they they applauded the heroes of faith, went into the house of God, and he took holy bread, feeding those that were with him of that bread. And he was not he was not a priest, and he didn't have a right to go there legally. But he went there, ate bread." Bread was given to him, and there was no condemnation or no judgment for that. He was not a priest. This belonged to priests alone. And God did not kill him for doing that. Nothing negative happened, no negative commentary on this. They go their way filled, and everything's okay. Then he goes on to say this, that the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. Far out message to them. They didn't, they didn't like to hear that Jesus was in any way divine. And uh, the Pharisees had a totally different view. They have no respect for Jesus as the Messiah. He is saying now, I am Lord over the Sabbath. I'm Lord of it. And Jesus was setting himself up to be killed by these dudes. You know, the Apostle Paul spent his life, a lot of people don't realize that he spent a great part of his life in prison because of these people who are judging in this situation, that is, the Pharisees. A lot of the persecution came from religious quarters and Paul spent his days in prison because of that. They were able to twist the law around, make him look guilty, and and he ended up in prison again and again and spent his life, a big part of his life there. So Jesus then, he talks further in that portion of Scripture. They are looking out for Jesus as to whether or not he would heal now. I mean, this is a terrible thing. If you heal somebody on the Sabbath, this this is really terrible. you see how twisted these people are i mean people need healing number one people need bread number two people need healing and jesus was giving both of those and they are judging him for doing a good thing judging him for feeding the hungry and judging him for healing a man that had a withered hand what in the world is all of this when you look at all of this. They they had laws beyond their laws. In my study of this, I understand that the Pharisees had not only ten commandments they went by. They by the way, they didn't go by the Ten Commandments real well, they had 613 laws. 613, say 613. Turn to somebody and say, That's too many laws. <laughs> 613 laws. They had 49 additional laws to explain the Sabbath. So you got one Sabbath law, you know, keep the Sabbath day, keep it holy, honor God, etc. And they had 49 extra laws around that. So they, they were just, it was law everywhere. But you know, Jesus, how many, how many commands did he have? Jesus didn't even have ten commands. Well, he was not against the Ten Commandments. The Decalogue, he had two commands. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Really simple. Very, very simple. Two commands. Love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things, when he did two, Summarize the Decalogue or the Ten Commands, which when lived by, our nation is in a safe place and everybody is in a safe place. You see, if you love, you will not take God's name in vain. You will not steal. You will not take someone else's husband or wife. You will not commit adultery. You will not have other gods before you. You will take a a day to honor the lord you just want to give god some of your time you will honor your parents and the list goes on saying you love and contradicting this doesn't make sense and again healing is not a contradiction to loving god and others it's proof that real love is there when you heal somebody you know pulling an ox out of a well on the sabbath day is stopping the contamination of the water in the well and maybe saving the animal. It's practical. I have have a statement that I've made over the years, and it's this. If it's not practical, it's probably not spiritual. Turn to somebody and say that. If it's not practical, it's probably not spiritual. Now, Healing is practical. Healing someone is practical. Feeding them bread when they're hungry is practical. The Pharisees made laws that contradicted God's laws. That's so sad when you're making laws that contradict the law of God. Lots of judgment and little mercy. I say to us this morning, like Jesus, let's heal on the Sabbath. (laughs) Let's heal on the day when the people of God are coming together Forget about the Pharisees and their laws. Let's set people free. And that's the heart of Jesus. He was was about to set people free. We do our best to honor a day to worship God. It's great you're here this morning. God is for this. When God says, he said, uh, the Sabbath was not... Sabbath was made for man. It's not just a law to be kept. It's, it's made for man. It's, it's made for our benefit. It's made so that, we can, so that we can rest and be restored, and that we can worship. We, it's enough to work six days a week. Let's take a break. Turn to somebody and say, let's take a break. And that's where Jesus was at. He said, let's take a break sabbath was made for man it was made for us to enjoy i i thank god that holidays are allowable holidays are holy days days where we set apart to pull back from the pressures of life and and enjoy every law that's created beyond God's law must be consistent with God's law not in contradiction to it it should be subject to God's established law the Pharisees violated that they were bad leaders but there is a good leader and his name is Jesus can you say amen And we want to be good learners we want to learn from Jesus we want to be great disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ Pharisees had twisted the truth they led people astray through their legalism through their externalism and all of the stuff that really didn't have any value from the teachings of scripture we we learned that legalism gets us nowhere Righteousness by keeping the law is a form of legalism. We do not become righteous before God or right before God by keeping the law. We become right before God by looking to Jesus. Can you say amen this morning? Now, Phariseeism, I believe, is still alive today. Some people work for their salvation. There's what we call a performance orientation that often grips the lives of people and it's all about performance and hoping that we can please God and we can please uh, people by our performance, doing good for acceptance and salvation. The Bible says, by grace are you saved. It is a gift of God. It's not because of works that any of us will boast at the end. At the end of the finish line, we're going to be giving glory to Jesus and giving honor to him because he alone is worthy. We do not weight others' value by how they perform. It's not right for me to value you because of how you perform. It's right for me to value you because you are made in the image of God. You are God's creation and God put you here and I need to appreciate the fact that you are my neighbor that has been given by God. Can you say amen? Turn to somebody and say, I appreciate the fact that you are on earth. Amen. Looking through others with eyes of grace. We don't just applaud what's on the outside. We applaud what's on the inside as well. Don't let Pharisee-ism rule. Let Jesus, your redeemer and giver of life, give you a great life and give others a great life. I want to be a, a good learner and learn from Jesus. I do not want to be a Pharisee. Turn to somebody and say, I do not want to be a Pharisee. I do not. Turn to somebody else and say, I do not want to be a Pharisee. Say it really strong to somebody. I do not want to be a Pharisee. (laughs) You're getting it. You do not want to be a Pharisee. I just get that impression. Oh, praise God. Let me summarize some things here. Legalism manifests is void of the spirit and life of God. Law cannot do that for anybody. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We're not going to go into unreasonable rationalizations of the law as Christians. We're looking to follow the life giver. We're not going to go beyond what God says. We're not going to put burdens on others that neither we or our fathers were able to bear. Jesus talked about the Pharisees being of that bunch. That's how they were. I want to just conclude by fleshing this out in practical terms today. I believe God would have us bring this, this grace and this lack of legalism something far from legalism into our homes. You know, in, the, in, in our homes, in our families, we can get into a legalistic style of living rather than a loving style of living where everything is law. Unreasonable rules. You say, well, we want our kids to do well. You know, there comes a place where we've got to kind of cool it on the law and we've got to inject some grace. Come on now. And believe God for grace in the lives of, uh, of our children. The Bible in Ephesians chapter 6 warns, do, don't exasperate your children by, you know, by these heavy demands. Fathers, do not do that to your children. In other words, be gracious, be loving. We have a loving Father in heaven. And Jesus shows us what the loving Father in heaven was like. He was always forgiving. While they were bringing people like the woman caught in adultery and they were wanting to stone her, Jesus said, now he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. They dropped their stones. They walked away. They had nothing to say because they were all guilty. Wow. May God... May God make us merciful and gracious people. Can you say amen? In our marriages, you know, even our marriages, we can be making demands of each other or in our relationships, demands. We've got all these standards, all these things, always demanding rather than loving like Jesus. I believe the love of Jesus should be manifest in in the home, In our marriage then even in the workplace Paul teaches this in his epistles that those who are masters need need to care about those who work for them there should be kindness in the workplace coming from Christian leaders or or from Christian employees they should be honoring those who are giving them employment then in the church I believe in, in a similar way, you know, when a church turns legalistic, it becomes a terrible place to come to. I've been around churches that have been legalistic, and I just wanna, don't want to go there. I have a pastor friend who, a number of years ago, he said, "You know, I looked at my church one Sunday, and he said, "I didn't really want to go there anymore," he said. He said, "There was really something wrong with my church." He said, "Something's really needed to change." And so he began to change the church and they set up the, the right kind of values and begin to operate on them. And the church has exploded because the church t- moved away from a legalistic mindset into a whole new freedom in Christ mindset that set people free and now people are coming for that freedom. They're coming to drink of the water of life freely because it's life-giving. You see, we can have a death-giving church as we're just putting law, law, law. And I thank God for Thrive. Thrive is not a legalistic church. Turn to somebody and say that. Turn to somebody and say it now. Thrive is not a legalistic church. It's a life-giving church. You're giving life. As we walk in the door, you feel the life of God coming. The love of God is coming. And nobody is judging you at the door. I could get into all kinds of illustrations of how people are judging, you know, right from the get go. It's judgment from from when you walk in the door till in the sermon and and then you walk away and you say, "'Oh God, have mercy on me' and then you come back only to receive condemnation another Sunday, and I say, "'God help us, may we not be like that We need to we need to have this attitude that this is a place of grace. I'll tell you a couple of stories. Having pastored for many years, I met with many people, counseled with many people. Once I had a, a younger man come into the church, and he was absolutely broken. Never met him. He made an appointment to come and see me. And um, and he started to tell a story. His story was this. Very innocently, you know, he came, went into the church, started attending the church, and and he was called into the pastor's office, and the pastors had a look at him, and he said, uh, Sir, um, you're going to hell. And, I mean, this man who had struggles with areas of his life didn't need to hear that. Why? What is it? What have I done? He says, you have a mustache. And he says, until you save, shave that mustache off, you're going to hell. and he said that's a symbol of pride in your life and therefore it must go and i began to tell him the grace of god and uh and it liberated him and unfortunately well maybe fortunately he didn't go back to that church very sad story i know this is not many years ago probably 20 years ago it's a few years ago uh, there, were, there was a church in eastern Canada that excommunicated three couples because they went to a hockey game. Some of you say, What? Yeah, Phariseeism is still around. It lives forever. It seems like it lives forever. Sad, sad stories of people. Another couple years ago walked into a Sunday night service at our church. Hadn't come to church, hadn't gone to a church for years. We went to visit them, find out who they were, got to know them a little bit, and they told us a story that he was excommunicated. He was a businessman and was well off, and he went and bought a new car. And it was a car that was two tone p- paint, light green, dark green, had nice shiny chrome bumpers, and it had a radio. After he drove the car back onto his property, five elders came and met him and said, "Um, you've sinned. You've got to get rid of this car. Why? It's got a radio. (laughs) It's got shiny bumpers. Number two, it's two-tone. You're in sin. And they excommunicated him. He didn't go back into a church for years. And then they walked into our church To experience the love and the grace and the power of God moving. And they said to us, is there any way we can come to this church? Will you allow us? I said, come on in. You're welcome. Legalism is a horrible thing. It manifests in many different ways. And uh, I believed somehow God wanted me to bring this message and some of these illustrations to you today. Number one, to... To keep you far from that kind of thing, number two to encourage you in the liberty you are experiencing and growing in in this house, maintain it, love it, and bring people into the into the into the love of God. you see dangerous li- leaders uh, teach that being right with God is by keeping the law. they teach that Their laws are superior, and they have nothing to do with God's laws. But good leaders teach and uphold that which is right, that which is embraced by Jesus Christ. And a great church is about about feeding people on the Sabbath, letting them eat the bread, giving them the bread, take the corn, eat it. And more than that, secondly, healing on the Lord's Day. Do it all the time. You have liberty. This place, I believe, is going to be a place of feeding, and it's going to be a place of healing. Because you're not legalistic. Because you're about Jesus. And that's what it's all about. I just feel to do one thing this morning. If you would stand for, as, as I turn this back to Pastor JB here this morning. There might be subtle ways this morning that the enemy has crept in to hold you in some form of bondage. And I want to make a declaration of, of freedom this morning. If you just bow your heads, wherever you are, you sense that there's been something that's been put on your life that has kind of held you bondage, and it's a, it's a type of legalism, it's a performance thing, or whatever, I want to set you free this morning just by a declaration, because we believe that when we declare the word of the Lord that freedom comes. Get ready to receive now, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, We declare liberty, liberty to every life. Where unreasonable obligations and demands have been put on lives, we take those off and we bring the law of love and life from Christ Jesus into these lives this morning in Jesus' name. If that's you and you need it, just say silently to Jesus Jesus I receive that this morning I receive that maybe we could all say it I receive I receive I receive the freedom in Christ you're here this morning and you're you're needing healing maybe it's emotional healing maybe it's physical healing the church is intended to be a place of healing healing again and again will flow in this place and it's flowing this morning. So I say in Jesus' name, whatever your sickness, whatever your disease, whatever your emotional state is, I say receive healing in Jesus' name. Receive it now in Jesus' name. Lift your hands to the Lord and receive healing. Receive grace and receive healing this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We say, be healed. As this man in the synagogue, if you're withered in an area of your life, just reach out and stretch forth that hand or whatever area of your life is paralyzed to some degree. Receive the healing of Jesus in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give Jesus thanks now. We thank you, Jesus. Give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We
1: lead you in a chance where you can talk to God a little bit more and respond to him in the message that you've heard this morning. Today we've been talking about guarding against legalism. Legalism is our overemphasis on rules to the point where we miss God's heart or we can't see what God is doing. And we want to pray together today. And if you're here in this place and you want to uh, make sure that your marriage, your home, your ministry, your team, your relationships with your kids or with uh, the people in your life and uh, your church is not a legalistic place, not a place where you're emphasizing rules to the point where you miss God's heart. Uh, I'm going to just invite you just to raise your hand to God today. Uh, just raise your hand as a response to God. Of course, rules are important. We need rules for order. We need rules, uh, you know, to have, to set good boundaries. We need rules so that people know what's expected of them. We need rules to pursue excellence, but at the same time, we don't want to be so focused on rules that we miss God's heart, that we miss what God is doing. And so if that's you and that applies to you and the relationship to your life or in the, the ministry that you're doing today, I want you to lift your hand to God right now. Lift up your hand to Jesus right now. And in your own words, from your heart, just start talking to God this morning. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. They have their own thing with God. You just start doing what you need to do with God this morning. You start talking to God today. Give him your heart. Give him your concerns. Talk to God. Respond to him this morning. Just start doing that right now, church. Just start responding to God in this place. Just start talking to God today. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. Give you praise today. Thank you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Okay. Lastly, if you've never received Jesus Christ into your life before and you want to be forgiven of your sins, uh, just like Pastor Tim said in this powerful message, is that we don't get right with God by our performance, by, you know, trying to obey all these laws, because as much as these laws help us, we can never satisfy all of them on our own strength none of us is perfect all of us have made mistakes but God because he loved us sent Jesus Christ to do what we could not do to live the life we could not live to die on the cross to pay for our sins and then he rose again to show that you can trust in what Jesus says you can trust that what Jesus says is the truth. You can trust that Je- what Jesus says is reliable. You can trust that what Jesus says is uh, the way to go. And so if you know that you need Jesus today, you want to be forgiven of your sins, not because you are good, not because you have your performance all right with God, but because we need Jesus and he's our savior. If that's you today, why don't you just lift your hand to God today? We want to just pray with you and for you. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. If that's you and you realize you need Jesus today, lift your hand to God today. Lift your hand to God today. and let's all pray this prayer with you. Just pray this in support of those who are praying for the first time right now. You can say, dear Jesus, dear Jesus I, need you. I need you. I thank you, I thank for, you. for dying on the cross to, to pay for my sins, for, my for, sins. for rising again, for rising again. To, give to, give to give me life. I receive you I receive into, my into my life to be my Savior, to be my savior, be my savior, and, savior. and to be my King. Be my thank, you. thank you. It's not my performance, not my performance that, makes right that makes me right with you. It's your shed blood than when you died on the cross. And so I thank you. I receive your forgiveness, and I proclaim that because of Jesus, I made you, I'm a child of God, and the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you give God some praise in this place this
0: morning, church?